This is Jim Fleming. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to find out more about Stuart Heights or more about our class, or if you'd like to leave us some feedback, you can do so at teachings.jim314.com. Enjoy the lesson. Today we conclude the third part, the third big section of our systematic theology series. This is the Doctrine of Man. So um, if you got your handouts there, we'll start today with the scripture memory passage from last week. Uh, it was Psalm 51, 1 through 4, and I told you you could pick any two verses. So you got any two verses. All right, Miss Darla, which two are you doing? The first two. The first two? All right, go for it. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, yes. according to your great compassion. Blot out my iniquity. Wash away all my... Okay. And forgive me for my Absolutely. Good job. Awesome. Thank you much. So, um, so the this is the five week. This is the fifth of five weeks in the doctrine of man. So we looked first at the doctrine of the word of God. We looked at the doctrine of God, and then we looked at the doctrine of man. Today's lesson is really about how God engages with man. What are the parameters of the relationship? How does it work? Are there any rules in place? Those types of things. So I'm going to start off with a couple questions. Um, <clears throat> so those of you who have physical Bibles, uh, the, the electronic version is a little harder to see this. Those of you who have physical Bibles, there are two big sections of your Bible. So what are the two big sections of your Bible? The Old Testament and the New Testament, right? Good. All right, so uh, the title of today's lesson is The Covenants Between God and Man. And another word, here's your first blank, another word for testament is covenant. Another word for testament is covenant. Neither of those are really words that you probably use a lot unless you're in um, real estate. Sometimes there's some covenants that come up in real estate. But, uh, so, so the question is, what is a covenant? I'll give you my definition that I've been using for years. It's just a legally binding contract. Uh, and, and some of these are mentioned in the scriptures themselves. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause there for a second and, and come over and explain a couple of concepts. So, so there are words that we use in our theology, in our discussions of our theology, what we believe, to describe things that are in the Bible that don't actually show up in the Bible, right? There are theological terms that we have created to communicate concepts that don't actually use that particular word in the Bible. So somebody give me an example of, of this. The Trinity, right? Trinity is good. What else? I think I heard another one starts with R. Rapture. What else? Dispensationalism, that's one of my favorites, yes. Um, still not really sure what that means, but that's okay. Uh, it's, a, it's a tough one, right? So, so covenants, when we start to talk about covenants, there are several covenants that are explicitly mentioned in the Bible. God says, uh, he actually says to Noah, I will create a covenant with you, uh, and God in that covenant promised to do what? Yeah, so he's, he's not going to flood the world again, right? Yay, that's awesome. That's, that's when we can all say thank you, right? This is good. Uh, there's a Mosaic Covenant, an Abrahamic Covenant, a Davidic Covenant. Um, and then there are several covenants that theologians have given titles to 
to put a framework around how God operates in certain spaces. Grudem does this a lot, okay? So if you've been here at Stewart Heights for very long, you've probably heard Gary talk about the Abrahamic Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant, the Davidic Covenant, and how those play together and the, they, they develop and what the themes are through them. Grudem's going to step a step up from that. And he's going to put some words around much larger themes that last much longer going backward in time. So, so if you hear some terms today that you go, I don't, I don't remember Gary talking about that. It's because he hasn't, because we're stepping back further away from what just the Scripture describes to help give a framework for the whole thing. Now, this is a very open-handed lesson today, okay? So if you say, well, I don't, I don't like the way that's framed, all right, it's, it's kind of the equivalent of disagreeing with the preacher's outline versus the actual stuff that they're saying, right? Because you, you could disagree with point 2B on the outline. I don't know what the point 2B on the outline is. If it's not to be, that would be hilarious. But um, ah, Okay, Easter Sunday he is risen. Yes, that's your blanks if you want to fill that in now. Um, I get the PowerPoint on Saturday night, and it's my job to proofread it, so... When you see uh, grammatical errors in the sermon PowerPoint, that's on me. So just in case you ever want somebody to blame, that's one of my roles. Imagine that, right? There was a, that was a squirrel, right? I know, right? Yeah. I dated girls in college that did English. Uh, they did my English, and I did their math, and it worked very well. So it was okay. And then I met Julie, and life was better since she's not here, and I'm going to stress that point this morning. So uh, <clears throat> moving right along. So... Uh, so do we have covenants today? So let's, let me ask that question. Do we have covenants today? What kind of covenants do we have today? Marriage. Ma- marriage is a covenant, right? Yeah. Do, what's the sign or the symbol for a marriage covenant? It's a circle, right? It's not a triangle. It's a circle, yes. And that was a joke. Yes, I was referencing that movie. It's okay. Um, it's a ring, right? There's a ring. Um, what other covenants do we have today? Home mortgage is a covenant, right? Sort of. It's a legally binding contract, yeah. Um, what, what covenant do some of you have maybe even in your neighborhoods? Does anybody have one of these? Yeah, Homeowners Association covenant, which says you can't put 47 pink flamingos in your front yard. Well, you can, but there's what? There may be like a fine or a letter, a strongly worded letter, or a visit from the association president or, you know, oh, what are we going to do, right? Uh, so, so we understand this concept of, of covenants. Um, the, the couple of things that I really want to point out here is that our God is a very, very particular God. It is not a haphazard, do what I want to, whatever pops in my head, everything's random. It is very, he is a very structured God. He's a very loving God. And that structure helps us. Imagine if God was completely unstructured, and did whatever popped into his vastly infinite mind at any given time and really bounded himself in no ways relative to his behavior. Kind of feels like a lot of things could be crazy, right? So the covenants are how he defines his relationships with man. And we'll look at uh, some of those. Uh, Several series ago, I I came up with the the phrase, we serve a self-limiting God, which is good for us, I think. All right, so let me give you Grudem's definition for a covenant. Uh, It's your next blank on your handout. Uh, A covenant is an unchangeable, this is a Bible covenant, divinely imposed legal agreement between God and man 
that stipulates the conditions of the relationship. Now, when he talks about conditions of the relationship, it's both what happens if you keep it and what happens if you don't keep it, right? What happens if you keep it? What happens if you don't keep it? Uh, in Jewish marriages, uh, there's a document that gets signed, and it's basically a prenuptial agreement, and it is all on the side of the wife. It, it's what happens if the husband doesn't keep his vows. The wife gets this and this and this and this and this and this and this. And they, they think so highly of this document that they put it on a really pretty piece of paper and they frame it and they put it up in their house. So think about this, guys. You're having an argument and she walks over and she points at the prenup. Right here, this line says you will do this. And if you don't, here's what I get. Okay, good reminder, right? That's the sign of that covenant. So it's a divinely imposed legal agreement and this is the, the framework here. Now, uh, Grudem goes on to a great lengths in the chapter. It's a really short chapter, actually. Um, he goes to great lengths to talk about that man doesn't get to negotiate the terms of the covenants with God. God presents these covenants and says, this is what I will do, this is what I expect of you, period. There's really not even a, are you okay with that? Or would you like to opt in? Or click here to unsubscribe. There, there's, there's none of that. It's... I'm putting this framework in place, and this is the way this is going to happen. Um, all right, so there's the, the most fundamental and generically large covenant, I think, in the Old Testament is really Jeremiah 31, 33. Um, this is God, you go flip there in your Bibles, if you will. Jeremiah 31, 33. And it, and it really just, it encapsulates almost all of God's actions in why he does certain things relative to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. And, and the Bible really is a history book. It is, uh, it is the history of the nation of Israel, both from its... Uh, it goes back to the history of the beginning of the world, but very quickly you get into the nation of Israel, how God deals with them over a several thousand period uh, time, and then how he redeems them through Jesus Christ, and then how he deals with uh, the church as it is grafted into the nation of Israel in the New Testament. So Jeremiah 31, 33, who's got it? Yes, Matthew. Behold, the days to come, saith the Lord, and I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Oh, I said that's the wrong one. I was like, wasn't the verse I was looking for? So. No, no, here you go, here you go. That's a good verse, though, because, because that verse actually talks about what we'll be talking about in a minute. So good job, you set me up. That's cool. Awesome. Maybe I'll start there next time. <laughs> but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. Ah, with who? Israel. Israel, okay. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts. And Some of your other translations say, uh, what, for inward inward heart? In your mind or in your hearts, yep. And will be their God, and they shall be my people. Right. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now, what part did the Israelites have to play in this? <clears throat> did, did God consult them and say, would you like to be my people? Click here to subscribe. No, no, no. It was just, you will be my people. I am choosing you. What did, what did the Israelites do to be chosen? Nothing. They, they existed, right? And, and who caused them to exist? God caused them to exist, right? I mean, he, he created them, he chose them, he loved them, he protected them, he put his, uh, as Daryl would say, his loving arms around them and loved them as only he could through thousands of years of history, right? There's a good way to use that, isn't it? I mean, he, he literally just, he shepherded them throughout the whole Old Testament. 
Whether they obeyed, whether they didn't obey, they were still his people. Um, is you is or is you ain't my baby, right? And that's, that's what it is. So, so that's, the, that's this very, very high-level uh, encompassing arrangement that God has. So, so Grudem's going to move now uh, into a couple different covenants that, that are theological frameworks. You won't necessarily see these words in the Scripture. They just provide this framework. So the first one is the covenant of works, and I've got several summary statements in here. So Grudem believes in a covenant of works in the Garden of Eden, in the Garden of Eden. All right, so I need everybody to turn to Hosea 6-7. This is a tricky one. Hosea 6-7. All right, who's got Hosea 6-7? So like Adam, they have broken the... So like who? Adam. Does anybody not have the word Adam in their verse? Men? Okay. This is why this one's tricky. Okay. This is why this one's tricky. Because some translations don't use the word Adam. Some translations use the word man. Guess what the word Adam means? Man. man. Guess what the word man means? Adam. Adam. Depends if you use it as a proper noun for a name or not. So, some do, some don't. If you do, keep going. So, it, actually start over for me. Like Adam... They have broken the covenant. They were unfaithful to me there. So, so we hear Gary talk about the Mosaic covenant, the uh, Abrahamic covenant, and the Davidic covenant, right? So, so which one of those three covenants did Adam break? So Adam, Adam was before those guys, right? So you think timeline. So which one did he break? The which one? The Adamic covenant, right? I'm not cursing here. This is Adam, I see, right? Uh, it sounds like it, so I just figured I'd clarify that. So, so there was a covenant with Adam, and Grudem calls this the covenant of works, the covenant of works. So if you flip back to Genesis chapter 2, flip back to Genesis 2 real quick for me. Sean, can you get me a glass of uh, ice water, please? Thank you. <clears throat> So Genesis 2, uh, let's look at verses 15, 16, and 17. So remember we decided that covenants were, um, covenants were defined by what you get if you keep and what happens if you don't keep. Okay, so Genesis 2, 15, 16, and 17. Who's got it? Tim, go for it. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying... From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day so that here's you what you eat, don't do, and here's the punishment for it. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Now, was there anything that you do and you get? Was there any, let's look at verse 9. What does verse 9 say? Out of the ground the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of what in the middle? The tree of life? Yeah. Now, <clears throat> so let's just let's, let's put our thinking caps on for a second, class. If we call something the tree of life, what do we think we get from the tree of life? 
I'm going to guess and say life. I'm just going to go down a theological end here. So Grudem would say that's the positive side, that there is an opportunity for life, and the negative side is there is an opportunity for death, right? So the, the two, the punishment and the, or actually the punishment and the reward. The punishment and the reward. Thank you, Sean. Um, all right, so let's look at uh, Romans 6.23. Romans 6.23. Here you go, Ms. Darwin. Thank you. Um, so who's got Romans 6.23? Does anybody know Romans 6.23? What do you got? For the wages of sin is death. All right. The wages of sin is death. So there's death that shows up here. Now, Grudem would say that the... Covenant of works is sort of, kind of, still in effect. Sort of, kind of. But only for the unbeliever. Because for the believer, Jesus Christ has reconciled and done everything that needs to be done. But for the unbeliever, if you sin, you, you're out, right? And that Adam and Eve were the only two that ever really could have pulled off the Adamic covenant, because they didn't have a sin nature when they were created. Like, I can't pull, this was a whole, all of last week's lesson, I can't pull off meeting the requirements of don't ever sin. I can't do it, because I'm a sinner. <laughs> I have a sin nature. That's the way that works. It's in my nature. The beautiful little babies that are born, sin nature. We don't have to teach them how to be bad, we have to teach them how to be good. Over and over and over and over, just as God does with his adult children, right? So, so Grudem would say that uh, this is still in effect for unbelievers, but it is not in effect for believers. So it gets a little squishy here. Um, so my question on the handout there is, did anyone keep this covenant? Did anyone keep the covenant of works? Jesus, yes. Jesus is your answer. There you go. Um, Hey, Albert, can you get me a cup of ice water? Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. What's that? No, on a waffle, too? No, not extra, extra, extra crispy bacon either. So, uh, so several of us went to go see some fights at Camp Jordan last night, and we went to Waffle House afterward, uh, which is almost never a good idea at midnight. But Stephen Mays ordered uh, five pieces of bacon, and he ordered it extra, extra, extra crispy. And I was like, so does that... Is there like a setting on their register that says extra? He's like, no, they just get it right that way. I was like, oh, okay, burn, cool. Burn. Yeah, it, it, was, it was actually pretty good. It was actually, I ordered mine the same way because I just wanted to see what they would do. So, <laughs> has nothing to do with the covenant of works, all right? <laughs> nothing to do for the, with the covenant of works. All right, so, uh, so let's move on to another type of covenant that Grudem describes here. And this one nearly doesn't, is, it doesn't have a label in the scripture anywhere. Uh, this is the covenant of redemption. <laughs> So this is uh, amongst the members of the Trinity, an agreement among the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, in which the Son agreed to become a man, to be our representative, to obey the de demands of the covenant of works on our behalf, and pay the penalty for sin, which we deserved. So, so this is the idea that way, 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 way before there was even time, there was an arrangement amongst three members the three members of the Trinity, to get together and to collectively do something for mankind that didn't even exist. Now, 
This is hard because we live in linear time, right? We, there, are, there is something that happens, and then there's something else that happens, and then there's something else that happens, and it's, it's ordered, and it's sequenced, and it's deranged. So, so this covenant, thank you, Albert, this covenant doesn't have anything to do with the recipient, right? This covenant only provides benefits to those who didn't even know that they wanted it. It was an arrangement. Did I time this well or what? It was an arrangement between three individuals to benefit someone else. Whether they knew it was going on or whether they didn't know it was going on. Does this make sense? You like that, Jonas? Yeah, I thought that in the shower this morning. I was like, I could do that with cups of water with Darla because she would sit there and go, because she's going to be the one that would not say, why are you sitting this water in front of me right now, right? So thank you for that. She asked you. You didn't ask me, though, right? Yeah. I couldn't do this with Sean. Sean would be like, I'm not thirsty. What's your problem, man? So He's got too much Boston in him. All right. So all those, ver- we're not going to look up all those verses right there, but all those verses that you have listed, um, are there a bunch of verses listed? There's not. There's a bunch of verses listed in my notes, uh, which are not online because my alarm clock did not go off this morning. So I will post all this online uh, this afternoon. Yeah, that was fun. It was, ex- it was exciting. Um, what's that? Yes. Uh, well, that was, that was the uh, daylight saving time. Yeah. My... I know, right? It's ridiculous. So it was awful. All right. So... So we have the covenant of works, which is, that gets us into trouble because we didn't meet it. We have the covenant, uh, Jesus did meet it. We have the covenant of redemption, which is just amongst the members of the Trinity to redeem mankind. And then we get into the covenant of grace. Now, now the covenant of grace, so let's, let's talk about this again, another framework. Um, I think about this as three hangers in your closet. Okay, so what do you do with hangers? You, you hang stuff on them, right? Yeah, yeah. So on the covenant of works hangs Adam's failure and Christ's success, all right? On the covenant of redemption is the Trinity's plan and execution. Fantastic. On the covenant of grace, Grudem would say, hangs the Mosaic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, and the Davidic covenant. And then Jesus Christ's fulfillment of all. Okay? So it's just a framework in order to arrange things theologically. How many of you that hurt your head just a little bit? That's as simple as explanation as I can give it. I bet I read the chapter 20 times this week. It's like, I can't say those words because I don't know that I understand those words. Uh, Interesting stuff. Yes? Yes. Absolutely. So in my mind, the arrangement is you got three hangers in a closet. On the first hanger is the covenant of works. So you have Adam's failure and Christ's fulfillment, right? So he kept it. On the second, you have the covenant of redemption. This is the one that I forget the name of. I hadn't, hadn't got it in my head yet. Covenant of redemption, this is the Trinity's um, plan and execution for basically the application of redemption. We'll get to that in a couple of, actually at the end of this year. Uh, and then the third is the covenant of grace, which is, well, on that hangs the uh, Mosaic Covenant, the Abrahamic Covenant, and the Davidic Covenant. And yes, I put them out of order, and it's not on purpose. It's because I forget which one came first. So, All right, does that make sense? All right, so let's talk about the, covenants of gra- the covenant of grace here. So there's a couple essential elements. 
Uh, Grudem talks about, one, the, the parties to this covenant of grace are God and the people whom he will redeem. Uh, but in this case, Christ fulfills a special role as mediator, as mediator. Because I don't get to walk up to God and have a conversation. It just doesn't work that way. Right? Moses is on top of the mountain. God passes by. God hides him in, a ro- in the, like a corner of a rock. And Moses glimpses just a, a fraction of a second the backside of God's glory as, as God goes around the corner and his face glows for 40 days. Well, yeah, I don't get to go just walk up to God. There are problems with that, right? It's just, he's too powerful. So I need a mediator. That's what Jesus Christ does. Uh, the condition of participation in this covenant is faith in the work of Jesus Christ. Okay? So it's faith in the work of Jesus Christ. So that's how you get in to this covenant. Now, in the Old Testament, uh, in growing up, this was something that I really had fuzzy in my head for a very long time because I felt like growing up that it looked like, looking at the Scripture, that there were a couple verses here and there that said, uh, you know, God counted this faith as righteousness and so-and-so was saved. But why then all the law and all the rules and all the... Rec- I mean, what did all that do? Well, Grudem actually summarizes this pretty well. Um, obedience to the... To the Old Covenant, uh, in the Old Testament, is seen uh, through the... Sorry, I'm trying to find it here. Uh, is obedience to God's commands, right? So you, you obey, uh, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, is obedience to God's commands. And the sign of this varies in the Old Testament and the New, New Testament. The sign that you were of Israel in the Old Testament was what? The visible sign. Circumcision, right? That's it. That's how you know you're in. The sign of visible participation in the New Testament is what? It's baptism. You're in. Okay? So you got the sign in the Old Testament, you got the sign in the New Testament. It's all about obedience, though. The sign of continuing in relationship with God in the Old Testament was what? The law. You kept the law, right? The sign of continuing in relationship in the New Testament is what? Grudem would say we're going to do it this morning. It's communion. Right. It's a sign that we are continuing in relationship and fellowship. Which I thought was kind of interesting. So, so that, again, this is a framework. This is how to think about things theologically. Very open-handed on if you disagree with the framework, that's fine. I do want us to think through. So th- there, there is a distinct pattern in the Old Testament of things being present for the purpose of fleshing them out and having them more fully explained in the New Testament. Right? So the circumcision was not nearly as good a sign as baptism, right? There's the cutting of flesh from, there's a covenant here and this is the way this works, but that's not nearly as good a sign as baptism. Amen? Right? Amen. Uh, The laws and the ceremonies and the holidays that the Jews kept in the Old Testament is not nearly as good as communion in the New Testament. See how it is more fully fleshed out to see God's grace. Now, all those things pointed to this. Yes. 
Thank you for asking a question, because most of you in the room are going, I have questions about this. Shout out. Yes, ma'am. Screwed up talking about communion as far as remembering and participating in the Lord's Supper, or is he talking about communion yes. as far as walking with the Holy Spirit? Uh, so, yes, actually, <laughs> I, I think is the answer. Um, I'm glad you finished that. I thought you were only going to ask the first part, and I'm glad you asked the second. Thank you for that. Uh, I use a lot of different words. So, communion is also known as the Lord's Supper, or if you don't have a uh, a really Baptist background, maybe the Eucharist. Um, generally the same thing, but when you hang the Eucharist word on it, sometimes it means something else. So I'm, I'm hesitant to use that at times. But uh, he would say that the, the sign of it, the visible, uh, the external visible sign is going to be the baptism and the external visible sign of walking in that relationship is communion. But the internal sign, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, has always been obedience. It's always been obedience. So both of those would say, that's good. Does that help? Okay. Great question. He didn't go there. I was wondering this, and he didn't go there. Yes, you can. You can be made to do something. You can, be made, you can make someone do something. Right. Yep. Absolutely. I don't think that he went there in the... Jonas, do you remember if he went there in the text or not? You don't remember? Okay. Those that worship God must worship Him in spirit, in spirit and, and in truth. Absolutely. Yeah. In spirit and in truth, yeah. So this is interesting stuff to think about, the frameworks in which, in the way that God relates to us. Um, the key things here, though, is that uh, Jesus Christ is the mediator. So I do want to make sure we got that. All right, so various forms of the covenant. So now we're going to hang stuff on on the covenant, and I didn't put all the blanks in here, um, but the, uh, you know, these covenant promises to Abraham, these covenant promises to Moses, these covenant promises to David, uh, these get fulfilled in Jesus Christ, uh, but only the covenant, here's your next blank, only the covenant under Moses is called the old covenant, and there's a couple different verses that are listed here, but, um, and then the new covenant, who, who, who created the new covenant? Jesus, yes, Jesus created the new covenant. And when did he create the new covenant? Like, like literally, I want to get a real specific answer to this one. When did he create the new covenant? When did he verbally say, talk about this new covenant? At communion, right? This is the new covenant in my blood. And, and every one of the disciples should have gone, what? Because only God got to make covenants. Theologically, This was a huge hat tip to, I'm Jesus, I'm Jesus. Now, they, they participated in the marriage covenant. They participated in land covenants, those types of things. But this was theological, and only God got to make theological covenants. So this is a big, whoa, okay. So when you want to talk about proofs that Jesus claimed to be, the, uh, to be God, you, you signed up for a big one right here. This is a big deal. All right, so, um, so which one's better? So I'll end in this. So which one's better? Is the old covenant better or is the new covenant better? Now, before you answer, before you answer, I want you to think about the benefits. So what is the single, and this is my, I guess this is my opinion, but I think there is one benefit that we get under the new covenant that was not present in the old covenant that makes it infinitely better because it gives us the ability to actually adhere to the new covenant. 
So what, do, what, if you think, what do you think that, that might be? The Holy Spirit, yeah, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So what did, what did those Old Testament saints, those who placed their faith in the coming Messiah, not have? They didn't have the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which is why David prays in the Psalms, don't take your Holy Spirit away from me, because there were times where the Holy Spirit filled David, and he knew it, and he was able to do amazingly obedient and wonderfully godly things. But then that Holy Spirit went away, and now man is walking in his own power, in his own flesh, without the ability to meet that covenant of works, and you fail. You're going to fail every single time. In the New Testament, in the New Covenant, we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and we have a power source that actually allows obedience, both external and internal, to adhere to the terms of the covenant, which blows my mind. So, so the question then that Grudem asks is, why then the old covenant? Why not just start with the new covenant? He didn't ask this in the book. He asked this in his Sunday school class. What does Romans say that the law is? It's a teacher, right? It brings us face to face. I don't. I need to back away from the mirror. I don't like, and it just it just chases me down, and it shows me I can't. I cannot hide from. Well, no. Okay. I mean, I cannot get away from how sinful I am because the law constantly reminds me of that. And Jesus in the new covenant constantly reminds me how great my Savior is. Team Jesus. <laughs> this is wonderful news, right? This is why we call it good news. Because the law is no longer my slave. The law is no longer my taskmaster. It is not chasing me down, reminding me that I'm deficient. I can turn to the law and say, you don't apply to me because Jesus dealt with you. And that is very helpful. So, Questions about that? Jonas, you look like your face is about to fall off. It's scrunched up so much. You sure? Okay, that was some... Uh, Paige, it is very easy to tell when he is thinking about something, isn't it? <laughs> My wife comes in some Saturday mornings. That's usually when I finish up Sunday school lesson and tweak and do the handouts and whatnot. Uh, she comes in some Saturday morning, and she goes, we're going to be confused tomorrow, aren't we? Because your face is way too crunched up. It's like, no, I'm, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. It's okay. So, all right, any questions about this concept? What I think is amazing is how long yes. waited. Yes, yes. Right? I mean, I'm not the, questioning why. It's just amazing. Just the, the patience level alone, right? I mean, I get frustrated when my phone doesn't load a website fast enough, and I hit the refresh button every two seconds, you know? And God waits several thousand years to display his all-wonderfulness through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Um, I, Right. We're, yep. we're, on. We're, we're just hanging out waiting, right? Yeah. Yep. Right. It's an amazing guy. It's an amazing guy. So, uh, thank you for being here today. Thank you for uh, hanging out and getting through these covenants. Uh, hopefully, the hanger example, I may put that in the notes. I may draw that up and put that in the notes. That might be a good visual just to. Um... Oh, I, I did mean, I meant to say something. Yes, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, it'll be easier to. 
to see it. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, so I actually emailed Dr. Grudem uh, last week, uh, and uh, I thought, I'm just going to send him an email, say, hey, we're going through your book, appreciate everything, we're praying for you. His wife actually has cancer. Uh, not cancer, his wife has uh, uh, fibromyalgia, uh, and he moved from Chicago to Arizona for the climate change because that's better for folks with fibromyalgia. Uh, he was a tenured professor and dropped it and said, you know what, I'm going to go take care of my wife, which that's kind of cool. Uh, so the, the concept of covenant rings very true and very strong with him. But I sent him an email and said, hey, our class is going through your book. We really appreciate it. Uh, thanks so much for writing it. And I've been praying for your wife for a while now. I hope she's doing better in Arizona. Three days later, in my inbox, Grudem, comma, Wayne. I was like, <gasps> no way. Dear Jim, thank you so much for your prayers. My name is Jonathan so-and-so, and I handle all of Dr. Grudem's correspondence. It's like, oh, man. <laughs> but still, it was, it was so kind, and he was very personal, and it was, it was very, very kind. I thought, oh, that would have been cool. So anyway, I had to share that with you guys. That was my fun story for last week. So. But uh, lean in with each other uh, for the, the prayer requests at your table. Make sure you get those written down. Uh, we don't have to put the chairs up today. There's something going on in this room this afternoon. Uh, so we'll leave all those out, and then when you finish... Uh, we'll ease into the sanctuary and worship this one that we've been talking about all morning long. So thanks for coming today. Okay.